everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. And welcome. I'm thrilled that you found me. There's power in the name of Jesus. As we journey together, we'll unleash discoveries of how to turn a heart of stone into one of moldable clay for the potter to transform. I hope you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. Periodically, we'll delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. If you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. And yesterday, we discussed the importance of words in our life. And as promised today, we're going to follow up that importance with ridding wrong thoughts from our lives. But before we begin, let's look at the meaning of Rima and Logos in the Bible. And how are they the same? And yet, how are they different? Well, Logos has three points. First, it's the expression of thought, not necessarily the mere name of an object. It's the concept or idea, saying or statement, according to the Vine's Expository Dictionary. An example is found in the book of John, chapter 15, verse 25, where Jesus states, This is fulfilled what the scripture said, they hated me without cause. Or secondly, would be the expression of thought, which is direct from Christ. And this example comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will remain forever. And then finally, the third use is going to be the phrase, the word of the Lord. This is a message delivered with his authority and made effective by his power. So then how does Logos differ from Rhema and what is the significance? Well, Rhema is that which is spoken, what is uttered in speech or writing. For example, the word of Christ. This is the word that preaches Christ. And we find in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17, it illustrates the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this is not looking at the Bible as a whole, but rather individual scripture verses that are brought to mind in our time of need. This is what makes scripture memorization invaluable. We're able to recall particular verses in our time of need. So when you think of logos, think of reason, speech, while rhema is an articulation of thought. So I hope that helps. And now God places a special and significant emphasis upon our speech and upon our thoughts. While it is a First Amendment right to be afforded freedom of speech, it doesn't always mean that we should exercise its use. Jesus tells us to season our words with salt and with wisdom. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 11, had this to say under Solomon's concluding thoughts. A wise teacher's words spur students to action and emphasize important truths. The collected sayings of the wise are like guidance from a shepherd. We've explored the shepherd in Psalm 23. The shepherd's critical to their sheep. And this is telling us that we're to pay close attention to the words of a wise teacher. Our world has no end of opinions about life or philosophy and how we're to live it. 
we could make an an in-depth, never-ending study looking into that. So it's not wrong to be interested and work toward creating our best life, yet we must remember our time on earth is limited. It's best to study and know the truth of God's word. This is what affects our here and now along with eternity. And you know, we know talk is cheap. Promises are superficial oftentimes. Even among Christians, we may profess something completely different than how we're living. But why is this? The most obvious answer is that we live in a fallen world, wanting to be in it and yet knowing that we're distinct from it. So to follow God, we must be either all in with Christ or all in with the world. We can't be both. In a previous podcast, we discussed taking up one's cross and following Jesus. When we do this and practice obedience to Jesus, it becomes easier to change the way that we speak or change the channel of our thoughts that are not producing the thoughts that we want. And while it doesn't happen all at once, when we pay attention to our tongues, our lives markedly improve. The book of James teaches us much on our usage of our tongues. His book is a Christian's how-to manual. He tells us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. He wants us to learn about love and then place it into action. And this podcast promises to show people ways to place love into action and to be thoughtful with the words we speak, as these thoughts affect our well-being. The book of Proverbs chapter 13 verse 3 instructs us that those who control their tongue will have a long life. A quick retort can ruin everything. And this is really referring to self-control. We do not control what we say. Words can cut and destroy. And James said the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. If we want to be self-controlled, we must start with our tongue stopping and thinking before we react or speak. If we can control this one small but powerful part of our being, we can control the rest of our body. And Dr. Mazaru Emoto of Japan performed numerous experiments looking at the changes in water based upon the words spoken. Harsh words versus kind words. While our bodies are roughly made up of over 60% water, whatever words are being spoken over us, to us, or by us also dictate how our cells within our bodies will respond. Dr. Emoto found when kindness, gentleness, or joy was spoken, beautiful crystal formations took shape within the water. But when harsh words were spoken, the crystal formations morphed into ugly forms. In our thoughts, the Apostle Paul and James sort out new Christians' thoughts in an example that's still applicable today. And let's take a look at what it was. It's the age-old argument that exists between faith and good works. Here's what James had to say. Now, some may argue some people have faith, other have, others have good deeds. I say I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds, but I will show you my faith through my good deeds. And while Paul argued in Romans that Abraham believed God, so God declared him to be righteous. 
Both James and Paul are complimenting each other regarding faith and works. But sometimes Christians who are newly saved start to wonder, do I have enough faith? And as this line of thinking places the burden upon themselves, instead we know we're saved and made righteous through Jesus' finished work at the cross. It's never about our works. Genuine faith always produces good works, but never makes us approved by God. We must always evaluate our thoughts behind the backdrop of what we're bumping up against, and the context is equally as important. Now, looking at our words, our speech is either rooted in love or fear. These are the two core emotions from which all emotions flow outward. We are right to be vexed by our speech patterns. At times, we say right and pleasing things before the Lord. At other times, we say hateful, violent, destructive things. This is the human condition. It's important to recognize while we're not perfect, we can work toward improvement. We're made in the image of God. And bearing this in mind, an image is representative of a prototype. Jesus is one type we have. Another is Melchizedek, who was the original priest. We know he was not of Jewish descent, and yet he worshiped the one true God of Abraham. This means, in order to worship God, what mattered was our mindset, not our genetics, and of course our faith. Some have said he was Jesus incarnate. Next time you're tempted to speak something not pleasing to the will of God, ask yourself, would Christ say this? We're reminded words are so powerful that in Genesis, we learn God spoke the world into existence. When our speech is in line with God and his wisdom, we'll speak using words of purity, peace, consideration toward others, submission, mercy, sincerity, impartiality, and goodness. When we have speech motivated by Satan, our words are filled with bitter, jealousy, selfish ambition, earthly concerns and desires, unspiritual thoughts and ideas, disorder and evil. When we truly want to learn anything new or do something better than before, we must give that area of our life attention. Only then will we be able to experience growth. It's no different with our speech. We learned early what good looked like. Through schooling, we all have learned what shocking speech looks like, what society deems acceptable and non-acceptable. When we're serious about making changes, James offers some helpful advice. He suggests before we speak, ask ourselves some questions. Is what I want to say true? In other words, is it supported by facts? Is it necessary? And is it kind? In my former career, we were told to put our speech and conduct to the test and ask ourselves, if my mom read this in the newspaper, would she be proud? Wow, that's a great, great test. So James recognized the power of the tongue. He discussed control of the tongue in detail. He stated that those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. We can make a large horse turn around and go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a tiny rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants it to go, even though the winds are strong. 
Although the tongue is tiny compared to other parts of our bodies, the damage it can do is enormous. What we choose to say and what we don't say are equally important. Timing is also critical. A well-timed word can be the difference maker in a person's life versus an untimely word that falls upon deaf ears. The word tells us not to gossip, put others down, manipulate others, brag, exaggerate truths, or complain even if it's warranted. But did you know that flattery is also a source of lying? When we're communing with God in the Spirit, we learn to be discerning against false words and false flattery. The wicked tongue is straight out of hell itself. Satan uses the tongue to divide people, ideas, literally pitting people against each other. And Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 35 through 37, a good person produces good words from a good heart. A evil person produces evil words from an evil heart. And I tell you this, that you must give an account on judgment day of every idle word you speak. The words you say now reflect your fate then. Either you'll be justified by them or you will be condemned. And this is Jesus reminding us that what we say reveals what's in our hearts. What kinds of words are you speaking? This is telling of what is within your heart and mine. If we're experiencing a heart problem, we can't just clean up our speech and think our heart will follow suit. We must allow for the Holy Spirit to clean us up from the inside out, filling us with new attitudes and motives. And one thing's clear to me, Jesus does not like idle words, or for that matter, idols of any kind. It's arrogant for us to think we can spew whatever we feel like, only to apologize later. Yes, I've been just as guilty of this as the next guy. A habit in which I'm not proud. This is what's called a stronghold. Through prayer and fasting, it's possible for it to be broken. Relationships do take years to develop, but in a matter of moments, we can destroy them by not taming our tongues. Psalm 51, David professed, Only against you, Lord, have I sinned. Imagine if the Lord didn't forgive. And this really illuminates the connection between why he tells us to forgive, coupled with wanting his forgiveness. It's because we have so much to be forgiven of, areas that we're probably not even aware of that exist, and yet he first loved and then forgave us. So let me give you an example of how damaging words are. They're like nails being pounded into a coffin. They hurt when they're being said, and each derogatory remark or unkind statement is another nail being pounded in. When we remove the nails one by one, we're left with gaping holes as a pastor reminder. The only way for healing is having the fortitude of a gracious God who is all loving and powerful and will heal us in his transformative mercy. He is the God of the endless supply of salve. James says our words are like a tiny spark that can set a great forest on fire. Think about fire for a moment. It spreads quickly and we can't stop the destruction and damage once started. Our spirit is broken when we use perverse speech. A calm tongue is a tree of life. 
The book of Micah tells us in chapter 7, verse 5, guard the doors of our mouth. The good news is that the Holy Spirit does help us to learn self-control and effort to tame our tongue. On our own, we cannot control the tongue. Over time, the Holy Spirit will guide us and give us more power to monitor and control what we say. When we're offended, the Spirit will remind us to respond in God's love, not in a hateful manner. The Holy Spirit will heal us from within so we no longer need to lash out in a hateful manner. James goes on to tell us that this is the same member of our body that blesses God and then turns around and curses him and his creation. When we seek wisdom above all else, our lives will begin to bear the fruit of those choices. Wisdom is a life skill dispersing knowledge. Speaking foolishly leads to a disorganized and a disordered life. If we desire goodness and peace, we'll make a conscious effort to learn to plant the seeds of peace by controlling our speech, and eventually we'll reap a harvest. God's word says that he loves peacemakers. When we're operating from a position of wisdom, we'll use our speech to edify, encourage, and build others up. We really never know what's weighing on the hearts and minds of another. We need to be sensitive and empathetic towards people while being diplomatically firm on issues. This will be pleasing in God's sight. Proverbs chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 tells us that a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. The enemy loves nothing more than when we allow strife into our relationships or when we elevate conflict and the need to be right at all costs. I've heard it said small people talk about others, but big people talk about world events. Now, I'm not advocating for speculation about world events, but I am suggesting we need to run from the proclivity to gossip. Proverbs 15, chapter 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, but keeping watch on the evil and the good. So God asks us to pause before responding to situations or people, giving our spirit and his spirit time to act. And on a previous podcast, we explored the life of Aaron. Today, we'll be looking at how Aaron interacted with his sister and brother with a more in-depth view of his sister, Miriam. So God does give us the example of Miriam and Aaron opposing their brother, Moses, and then we have God's response to that. And it's important to realize up front that Miriam and Aaron both had incorrect thoughts that would manifest in wrong emotions. So let's jump into that story now. It's found in Numbers chapter 12, verse 11. He cried out to Moses, and this is speaking of Aaron crying out, Oh my Lord, please don't punish us for this sin we so foolishly committed. The Bible is full of references discussing foolish or wise traits. Every thought and spoken word come from either direction. And this was Aaron's request that he and his sister Miriam not be punished for their sin. So often it's easy to look back at our mistakes and recognize foolishness. It's much harder to recognize foolish plans while we're carrying them out because somehow they seem appropriate. 
and to get rid of foolish ideas before they turn into foolish actions requires eliminating our wrong thoughts and motives. Failing to do this caused Miriam and Aaron much grief. When we explore sibling relationships dependent dependent upon where you fall within the birth order, you may or may not agree that they can be challenging, especially if you have a younger sibling who may even be more successful by worldly standards than you are. This rivalry may even be intensified to the breaking point of family loyalty. So let's look at this Old Testament family of three siblings. One was the leader of the people of Israel. His name was Moses. His older sister was Miriam, who was a prophet, and their younger brother was Aaron, who was a priest. They were all considered to be successful in their own right. Miriam had an unusual job when we first meet her in scripture. She was Moses' babysitter on the Nile River, who would make sure to position his success with her quick thinking. She caused his mother to be his nurse as the Egyptian daughter of the Pharaoh raised him as her own. Miriam came by this protective superiority honorably, and it was this protection that probably led her to wrong thinking later in life when he would rise to greatness and then marry. Moses chose a Cushite, which was an Ethiopian woman, for his wife. This would open up an area for the siblings to openly criticize him. It really wasn't about the choice of his wife as much as it was how important of a man in Israel Moses had become. The siblings wondered, hadn't God spoken through all of them, not only Moses? It isn't uncommon for people to argue over minor disagreements. We tend to see strength in numbers, and isn't it interesting the story is reflected in the book of Numbers. Their thoughts were turned toward jealousy. Scripture teaches us that our thoughts turn into emotions, and when they're off base, they're damaging to us and oftentimes others. Ironically, the pair couldn't find fault with Moses' leadership and resorted in criticizing his choice of a wife. This tactic was a diversion to the real issue. When we look at the emotions behind their jealousy, it was both envy and pride. They wanted even greater power than they had been given. They wanted more influence over others. After all, they're operating from the wrong mindset that they were less than. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 tells us, Moses was more humble than any other person on earth. This is an example of how easily our thoughts can get us off track. Jealousy stems from pride and a feeling of deserving more. This is a carnal emotion stemming from the evil one and never of God. This emotion has us in essence saying to God, you really missed the mark when you didn't give us what you gave to another. We're not ever to question God's motives. We know he has a purpose for everything he does or that he allows into our lives. And after Miriam voices the siblings' criticism, the Lord descended from heaven out of a cloud with a quick retort. God tells the siblings he has a special relationship with Moses. He said even with prophets, he communicated with dreams and visions but he would speak face to face with Moses and not in riddles. It was God's prerogative for how and with whom he would communicate. 
So God was furious with the two siblings. We're not told what Moses' response was to the criticism, but we do know what God did next. He struck Miriam, who had become the spokesperson of the siblings, with leprosy. She became white as snow. So Moses pleaded with God to heal Miriam. He listened, and after punishing her, kicking her out of the people's camp for seven days, she was then allowed back in, and the Israelites would continue to travel. The next time you or me have the urge to criticize another, we need to look at our thoughts and our motives. We need to make sure it's not because we're jealous of a blessing someone else has been given. Sometimes when we're offered constructive criticism, it really is another's destructive jealousy that they're offering. When we look better and superior to another, isn't this just a way of attempting to bring another down lower? We must intentionally rise higher in our thoughts so we'll naturally do better when given the opportunity to do so. So on the other podcasts, we've completed what's known as a SWOT analysis of the biblical figures of faith. And today we're going to continue in that tradition looking at Miriam. So S stands for strength, and we know that Miriam had a strength of being a quick thinker. As a matter of fact, Miriam saved Moses' life on the Nile River. Exodus chapter 2 verse 7 tells us, Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. And lo and behold, Moses' Hebrew mother assumed the position. Another strength, she had the ability to serve as a leader. Finally, followed by she was both a songwriter and a prophet to the people. So what weaknesses did Miriam possess? Well, for starters, Miriam and her brother Aaron were both jealous of Moses' authority. Also, she was the sibling's spokesperson openly criticizing Moses' leadership. And then opportunities... Miriam needed to look at her motives behind finding fault with Moses. That was a big opportunity for her to assess her thought life. And we're going to end with threats. What threat did Miriam have? Well, it possibly was an earlier death than her other siblings. The Bible isn't clear as to why, but perhaps it was from her own disobedience toward God, causing her brother Moses to have to course correct her actions for her. She lacked complete faith in the blessings she had been given, and we can't blame God for our wrong thinking and our sins that come from it. Our peace will elude us until we come into right thinking and godly obedience. So Moses' Hebrew mother demonstrated right thoughts amongst the evil Pharaoh. He issued a command that all Hebrew children under the age of two were to be killed. And this was during the time Jesus had been born and the goal was to find and kill him. Oftentimes we mistakenly think the only attempt on Jesus's life was upon his arrest and crucifixion. But Moses's mother knew she did not possess the power or the authority to change this law. So what alternative did she have? She would hide Moses for three months. She would then make a little basket made out of papyrus reeds and waterproof it with tar and pitch. She then placed it upon the Nile River. 
Her thoughts echoed ones of godly courage. How do we tie this story into our everyday lives now? Well, God gives us the same measure of faith as our faith heroes in the Bible, including Jesus. We may come up against evil, but he always provides a workaround solution. When we remain focused on God and place our trust in him, he can use it. Remember how Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes? There were 12 baskets of leftover food after feeding the 5,000, or some say 20,000 with women and children. Each basket represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel and the many blessings that would be coming their way. So now we've looked at the importance of ridding wrong thoughts and mindsets in order to continue to have God's best in our lives. Tune in tomorrow as we continue to explore right thinking. We'll be discussing the possibility of arguing in a whisper and just how much further we can go when we apply self-control to our lives. And friends, today, if you want to become a child of God, spending eternity in heaven, not elsewhere, then I invite you to pray this prayer of invitation to our Lord Jesus Christ with me. Simply repeat, Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into and take up residence within my heart. I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the sin of humanity at the cross of Calvary. Amen. And friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. And get into a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with other believers. Now, let me be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision you've ever made. God bless you. And one of the one of uh, Priest Aaron's contributions that he left us with was this benediction. As you go out into the world, allow me to pray this blessing over you. And it does come straight out of Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special Kid Talk podcast will air on Wednesdays. Tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, how to be joyful, and what love in action looks like, and many additional topics. I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on a podcast of adventure and exploration of life together. So please join me. And if you like this podcast, make sure and hit like and subscribe so you'll get the latest episodes when they become available. And much of today's podcast was referenced from my book, The Grace and Peace of God, Love Wins. If you found the content to be inspiring or interesting, you can pick up a copy of the book from my website, www.pampastorcopywriting.com or at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or even Dorrance.com. 
And if you're unable to afford a copy, friends, please write to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com and I will find a way to get a free copy into your hands. Again, that's pampastorcopywriting.com. And if you know anyone else who may be interested in this material, please share a copy with them. Until next time, be blessed. Thank you.